You're listening to a Hindustan Times podcast brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hi, this is Manjula Narayan, National Books Editor Hindustan Times, and this is the Books and Authors podcast. It's a weekly podcast where I speak to authors who've got a new book out. Hi, so today we have with us Krish Ashok who's written Masala Lab the science of Indian cooking and the illustrated edition is just out. Hi Krish. Hey, hi. Hi Banchula. So Krish, you know, I was like looking at this book. I mean, I saw it of course the first time when it uh, came out a few years ago and it was interesting, but somehow the um, the this edition really strikes one, you know, it strikes struck me. Okay, I picked it up and I was yes. like, wow, you know. So do you want to talk about that? The reincarnation yes. of the same book, you know? Yeah. So, so in fact, the, the, uh, the first, the, when the book came out uh, mm. during the pandemic, uh, it yes. ended up being the, the first book on the science of Indian cooking, right? And it was a, yes. it was an unknown genre. I mean, it was something yes. at the intersection of popular science writing and, and food. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I, as a visual thinker, um, I, I always wanted it illustrated, but then a paperback, presented limitations and uh, at that time I don't think anyone had the budgets for a professional illustrator and so on so yes. I ended up illustrating the first book myself right you know to the to the best of my ability right um, yeah. and surprisingly enough uh, you know between then and now the book has been a bestseller for like three years now yes. everybody on social media when they share something from the book they end up sharing one of those pictures that I've drawn and they're yes. like yes. we want more of these um, yeah. and so it sort of felt like you know what there is an opportunity to really make a collector's edition version of the book yes. and get a professional illustrator to really do more of those things that explain some of the harder uh, science concepts uh, in the yes. book uh, to to a wider audience uh, yes. uh, in a more accessible way. And I think that's the reason why I think we decided to sort of, you know, do it this way. Ah, it's really worked because, it, you know, now it's like, I I mean, I ideally want to put this in the kitchen, but now I don't want to put it in the kitchen. <laughs> Maybe take shots of it on my phone and then, you know, work in the kitchen. But coming to that, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not a great cook, but when I cook, you know, I mean, you think about things and stuff. And what you've done is that you've made um, so many of the processes, uh, like, I don't know, you've made them, uh, you know, one cooks on instinct and that's what everybody does. Like you throw in this and your mother said, you know, do this, do that and you do it. Okay. But this kind of gives the explanation. So I find that fantastic. So you want to talk about that aspect of it? Yeah. So that, that was interesting. See, because I think, you know, when, when I set out to write the book, um, it was never from the point of view of, oh, you know what, I, I know the process and, you know, I'm going to document it, right? It's, it was never that intent at all. The idea was to say that uh, what we assume is gut instinct uh, when it comes to cooking, uh, particularly in our mothers and grandmothers and, and, and professional chefs and so on, is actually just hours and hours and hours of practice. Uh, yes. they, I, I mean, my mother or my grandmother didn't have much choice. I mean, they had to cook since they were like a teenage uh, uh, girls and then all through, you know, all the way till their 60s and 70s, right? And, yes. um, and so just by dint of the spending, you know, what they say, the 10,000 hours, uh, etc., you you really become good at it, right? Yeah. So in a sense that a lot of what we call art in the kitchen is just disguised craft and that that craft is basically just hours and hours and hours of just doing the same thing. So you exactly know what those heuristics are. And so my job was actually to go watch as many of these people as possible uh, and then just literally document what is it that they're actually doing and then use the language of science to describe it. Mm. Uh, and so that then becomes sort of like a 
a manual of sorts, which therefore uh, not everyone has the opportunity to be mentored by their mother, grandmother, yes. and so on. Yes. We don't we 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 don't live in joint families anymore. People, uh, young people, move out. This yes. is a different India now, right? And so, is there a way to distill the essence of a lot of that grandmother's wisdom, but in the language of science? Um, and so that's the that's the sort of and and it's very quite interesting because what what I ended up finding out is that all the practical cooking wisdom, uh, the act of actually the heuristics of how to cook rice, how to make egg, how to make meat, how to make these things, uh, how to make a truly delicious curry, and so on, uh, from our mothers and grandmothers, almost most of those ideas have stood the test of time. Um, and actually are quite simple and easy to logically explain why they work, right? And because at the end of the day, you do have to make delicious food. Otherwise, you know, uh, your method cannot be considered good and so on. On the other hand, what I find is a lot of the tacit wisdom in the space of, oh, you must not eat this, you must eat this, and this is good for you, that is bad for you. Some of those ideas are the ones where it's a hit or miss, meaning that because we've learned so much about the human body, we've learned about nutrition, we've learned about medicine and so mm -hmm. on. So sometimes that's where the tension, the tension often happens in when modern medicine clashes with traditional ideas of you must not mix curd and fish, yes. you must not mix yes. this and that and so on. But when it actually just comes to how do I make a delicious biryani? Um, there's little or no argument about what is the science behind making it, right? And so that I think I thought I must capture that. And so the book kind of stays away from the wellness related uh, controversies and so on yes, maybe that's for a subsequent yes. book but yeah so it really focuses on how to make delicious food and it just so turns out documenting what your grandmothers do is i think a great place to start mm. but tell me how did you like how did your grandmothers take to the documentation <laughs> You know? <laughs> yes. So yes. So it, it it in fact begins with the with that yes. anecdote where the first time yes. I went abroad, I uh, I went and harassed a lot of old women in the family <laughs> about. Hey, tell me the recipes. How many exactly? How many quarter teaspoons and all of that. Uh, so one is that they said, "Oh, that's that. I we don't cook in teaspoons, right? I mean, you know, they it's by it's by just sort of feel. It is by aroma, and it, it gave me an insight that actually that is a better way to cook than to cook by following a recipe." right? Uh, yeah. Because what you're actually doing when you follow a recipe is that you're sort of blindly following something without understanding why you're doing what you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. And the goal of adding a garam masala at the end is because powdered spices lose aromas in liquid mediums. And so you want to add it as towards the end as possible, right? Um, mm. And so so therefore, uh, but but to then say that no, you will add it precisely at the 40th minute or 20th minute makes no <laughs> sense, right? Uh, yeah. Or to say that you you can, people will say that all these recipes say salt to taste, you know, why can't they say? Because you generally cannot, because they don't know how much you're cooking. And salt yeah. is a function of the ratio of salt to the total weight of what you're cooking, right? Mm -hmm. And nobody's sitting and weighing ingredients when they're actually cooking right and so yeah. so therefore learning the heuristics is actually a, frees you up from bothering whether a, a quarter teaspoon makes any more difference versus say a half teaspoon right uh, yeah. and i think in in that sense i think uh, i quickly recognized that i can't be harassing these people for those sort of precision and i took to this <laughs> approach of largely just recording them while they were speaking either on video or voice uh, oh. and just having them just walk through the process of how they would just how would they estimate when something is done right mm. a recipe blog will say after 20 minutes switch off 
the person who wrote that ha- actually doesn't truly believe it but yes. the person is expected to say 20 minutes because the pub- either the publisher of the cookbook or the your audience on the internet will say no no you have to tell me how long right mm-hmm. and so they they just make up something but a actual cook no looks for other cues looks for oh the froth is coming right looks yes. for oh this this aroma has started coming the mm-hmm. raw smell of the tamarind has gone away right yes. and so i wanted to make sure that i capture those things because that genuinely is the is the actual a uh, science of when you need to stop cooking when you need to start and when you're going to burn something and so on right yeah mm-hmm. and like with the you know the older women in your family also you mentioned that you 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 know you have no problems with uh, striding into the kitchens of restaurants and asking them these things and you've mentioned you know how these sauces are made and it's very like precise yeah. uh, little things yes. so how do you like what do you do like what use your charm what is it their friends <laughs> yeah, so so I, I i would just i would just start by saying that you know, the food is just absolutely fantastic this is the best uh, this is the best rajasthani food i've ever eaten in chennai uh, you know i uh, i'm a i'm an author so the first thing you have to somehow convince them that you don't have a smartphone camera in your hand right uh, okay. because that scares them right because no no restaurant wants the secrets of their forget the secrets they don't want the hygiene of their kitchen to be <laughs> shown <laughs> anywhere outside because it's it's not like that at the end of the day i think you know kitchens are messy places right uh, you know so even when we eat at home many people often don't quite know how messy it was in the kitchen when the food was made right uh, yes. and somehow uh, somehow we expect the restaurant kitchen to be like a sterile ultra always be cleaning sort of thing impossible. just not how practical it was it's impossible right yeah. so at the as a by policy they do not want people with cameras walking into the kitchen that's for sure right it's just yeah. a legal thing yeah. uh, and so therefore it's it's just something you have to convince them that look you are someone who loves cooking right um, and and you also have to convince them that you have no interest in starting a restaurant you're not in the restaurant business right <laughs> so you're not <laughs> planning to see their secrets yeah. and so on yeah say that oh. look boss i'm just you know i'm i'm trying to understand food i'm a food researcher etc etc i write about history um and then one in one in 10 restaurants will let you go most 9 out of 10 will say no right oh. uh they and, and they will and and again you i i mean i've been doing this for like 20 years is it easier now than before uh, no it is actually harder um so it has become harder ever since social media arrived i, I honestly speaking it was much easier when social media didn't exist right mm-hmm. uh, and and the chances that somebody uh, there then the fear the fear was somebody would take photos send it to hindustan times or the hindu editor and say hey look how dirty so that so that's a very narrow fear compared yeah. to posting on instagram viral youtube it's it's a completely different fear now so yeah. i think one interesting thing that social media has done it has made the nastiest uh overconfident people have a loud voice it yeah. has made anyone with a sane voice keep their mouth shut because they don't yes. know what's going to you know offend which side and yeah. it's made the vast number of people just completely shut their doors and say hey boss i don't want anything to do with this right ah. so that's one of the unfortunate side effects of social media so it's actually become worse now uh, in fact uh, right now the only mm-hmm. places where you can actually go out and see how cooking is happening is is on is in the street food right oh. uh, and that's where you find a lot of people uh, which again is an interesting phenomena where now uh, you see a lot of these videos where some place in usually gujarat or ahmedabad where somebody will grate some half a kg of cheese and deep half kg slab of butter Uh, and it's weird because nobody e- actually eats those things but those street food people have recognized that these posh people coming and making these viral videos is bringing them more customers yes. you need to come and watch them say bhaiya ye bana do and then they will you know shoot that and you know make another video right it's just a whole lot of wasted food they're like okay fine i'll take the i'll happily take the the the, the you know saying all pr is good pr yeah uh, so yeah see how i i just
just managed to get into enough uh, kitchens. Uh, also, I, I mean, I did have uh, a few friends who were chefs and uh, who managed mm. to sort of sneak me into uh, into some of the other finer dining places. Uh, mm. Where at, at least you you kind of really internalize the fact that restaurant cooking is an entirely different thing. Mm. than home cooking mm. not even remotely the same mm. um, in fact what a restaurant chooses to have on its menu uh, mm. is first and foremost chosen on the basis of one whether it is make it is something that is easy to make in a restaurant kitchen mm. anything that is on a menu has to be it has to be doable in 5 to 10 minutes um, yes right and and it it has to be preppable ahead of time yes yes Yes, you you cannot have an item in a restaurant where everything can be made from scratch. It's just simply not practical, right? Yeah. So they so a, a butter chicken is perfect because the makhani gravy can be made in the morning and mm-hmm. the chicken can be baked yesterday. Yes. Do, right. <laughs> uh, and then you slap it together, slap the butter on top, cream on top, tadka. And and that's it. Butter chicken is ready, right? Dal mm. makhani takes nine hours end to end from soaking the dal to doing all of that, right? Yeah. So, uh, so therefore, a restaurant has the dal is cooked, the makhani gravy is cooked, both are combined. The same thing that that went into your butter chicken also goes into your dal makhani, also goes into your paneer makhani. There are four yeah. gravies, right? Yeah. There are four gravies, three tadkas, and these three mixes. You yeah. do a simple combinatorial bath. You can get everyone from paneer kolapuri, paneer dawabi, paneer hyderabadi, paneer whatever, right? I mean, you can, you can basically mix and match and make like you know four hundred dishes. you know if you want yeah. these are the typical restaurants right yeah. yeah and that's what i found you know i found that bit fascinating where you know you you looked at french cooking and you know all their ready made sauces and you applied yeah. it to indian cooking and that is the best part of the book because that's what i'm going to do it's like fascinating you know i'm like looking reading it and thinking what the hell why did why did i think of this before so talk about that you know i love yeah so bit. so the funny thing yes so so for, as for me as a you know as a one of the advantages you know uh of being a software person right mm. uh, all my mm. life uh, is is that the, there's a certain value thing that is sort of uh, that you have to imbibe for being a good software engineer is that uh, uh, it's called strategic laziness meaning that a good software person is a strategically lazy person meaning that you are actually expected in your job role to make yourself as obsolete as you possibly can right you want mm. to automate as much of your role you want to write as little code as possible because uh the more human intervention the more the errors right so you do want to use ai you do want to use automation so it's a value system that you kind of grow up with so it's the same thing that i really just applied in the context of the kitchen that the only reason uh, and i think you know we sort of think this is somehow um uh, uh globally the same it's really not right so in the sense that the average american woman i so uh, remember seeing in a study spends less than half an hour in the kitchen in an mm. entire day mm. in an entire day Okay. so it is uh, so because you have to chop and prep and bake the dal and bake this and you have to wash and then you have to do uh, average by the way is not talking about the urban woman who has a cooker but whoever is cooking in the kitchen is definitely mm-hmm. spending 5 to 6 hours a day making breakfast lunch and dinner fresh right mm-hmm. so remember yeah. an american breakfast is take the bridge take, take the bread out of the fridge toast it uh, take the eggs out of this thing and just fry it it's just like 5 minutes uh, the mm-hmm. total amount of time for you to prep you t- open a, a lunch you can just open a packet of salad pre cut salad and then add a dressing and you have a salad right uh, so there is a 
so while without getting into the health aspect of it the, <laughs> there is an unhealthy obsession with making everything fresh in india That's and the true. only reason there is this is an unhealthy obsession with making everything fresh in india is because some woman is unfortunately having to sit and make it for you, right uh, and has has never been paid her entire life for it and it is just unpaid labor so uncle ji can sit and say ah everything must be fresh khana you know teen it should be eaten 3 hours after it is cooked uh, yeah. don't keep anything in the fridge we have to eat it right away so whereas even if you go to societies that are maybe 20 30 years uh, sort of economically uh, ahead of us like thailand and malaysia and others mm. you will find that and their cult, their food is also very similar to india it's a long time to prep they yes. embrace the fridge and they embrace the freezers very well they the thai people make the paste ahead of time and keep them in the fridge and it's uh-huh. easier to make the red curry green curry yellow curry and so on mm. so and by the way in india it's not, in india restaurants do that why would people yeah. not do that at home right yes. you have a freezer all yes. you have to do is make a giant batch of that makani gravy put it in ice cubes uh, mm. uh freeze it and then drop two ice cubes and add your paneer and your uh, paneer gravy is ready in like 5 minutes instead of the 45 minutes that it would take you to cut the onion cut the this thing do all of that stuff uh, why would you not do that right you yeah. can make a chettinad gravy you can make up you can keep a bengali gravy ready you can keep a yeah. malabar gravy ready right yeah. and, and like restaurants too right i think that was the sort of intent to say that look the intent is not to make you lazy the intent is actually to make you more creative right yeah. uh, so you can now actually think of you read a you read a uh, a recipe interesting punjabi recipe but uh, you 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 uh, you feel like sort of those same ingredients but you want a very kerala taste you take the kerala based gravy and and you use coconut oil and you're done right i mean yeah. the other ins- insight is that the flavor of any regional indian food comes from the choice of fat and the choice of whole spices yes right? yes so you can take the exact same dish if you use mustard oil and punch foran no matter what comes after that it's bengali yes yes coconut oil curry leaf garlic chili etc cumin no matter what you do it's kerala sesame yeah. oil likewise you know soft and uh, you know uh, garlic and all of that no matter what you do chutney not right yeah. so it is just that you, so it allows you to actually be freed up and try different regional cuisines without being you know uh, the, which is why one of the last chapters in the book is like burn the recipe meaning that you really no you don't have to think in terms of recipes think in terms of models right <laughs> don't think <laughs> you as a gujarati person cannot make a south indian food or cannot make a chutney not food or cannot make a kerala food because you don't have no or, or you can get coconut oil in gujarat you can get curry leaf in gujarat and you can make kerala food yeah yeah but you know what i was i was really section and thinking i mean i don't know purists will might might beat me for this but i was thinking i know try paneer with coconut oil and i wonder will that turn out <laughs> you know that section yeah. actually made me think of things like that you know yes yes so, Yeah. So that's an interesting point, right? So when you say so, two points about the purists and uh, whether paneer and coconut will taste is is a so one is I think you know, purists in general I think are uh, best ignored in the context of food because uh, it is you 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 tell me a person who wants to argue with me about authentic something uh, oh. and you will find that in five minutes I can tell you that the person will be completely unsure of what they actually be. Right? <laughs> what is authenticity, right? Yeah. Let's say for example, uh, today if you if you eat a sambar in Tamil Nadu, it will have uh, uh, it will have carrot, it will have capsicum, uh, uh, chilies and so on. Uh, yeah. My gra- my great grandfather's grandfather great grandfather would have never seen any of these vegetables in his life including tomato, chilies, potato, carrot, none of these. Yeah. All of these yeah. came to India only in like the 1890s and so on. Uh, yes. So therefore, so what is what is an authentic sambar, right? I mean you really yes. have to figure out what you ex- exactly be. And 
food changes all the time. Food oh, changes okay. by trade, right? So yeah. the people from Tamil Nadu who went and settled in Calcutta and went and settled in in Mumbai adapted yeah. their cooking to whatever local ingredients were available, right? Um, yeah. And likewise, the Saurashtrians who came and settled in Madurai adapted adapted uh, to use uh, sesame oil and not uh, you know groundnut oil or whatever they were used to, right? So yeah. I think at the end of the day, authenticity. I think we can largely ignore. It's just for extremists to fight about something on Twitter, right? Uh, the second <laughs> point is actually more interesting, right? Which is that how something tastes to us. Um, and this kind of goes at the heart of one of the slightly more controversial things I say, which is that you can ignore all negative opinions about restaurants on all these, all the Zomato, Yelp, and all these other sites. Because ultimately, when somebody says, I didn't like this, uh, they are most likely actually saying this is unfamiliar to me. They're not actually saying it's uh... bad. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. because, see, because unfamiliarity is very common in food because your flavor memories are a function of what you grew up eating. True. Right? Yeah. A very tiny number of people are able to break out of the limited flavor memories of their home food and then be foodies and enjoy novelty. Hmm. 80-85% of people do not enjoy novelty. Yeah, yeah. They are the kind that go to a restaurant, bus give me dal chawal, bus give me upma, bus give me this and that's it, right? Mm -hmm. They will, they're not the ones who will eat sushi, rattlesnake and, uh, you know, and uh, and caviar (laughs) or or ant larvae and things like that, right? So, uh, Uh so they're not, they're not, they're not that ones at all. And it, and by the way, and we think it only happens in bigger shifts like say veg, non-veg and that and all of that. No, Mm -hmm. it actually, because the bus bulk of flavor actually comes from fat and spices mm. the indians are notoriously sensitive to the choice of fat so in fact the north indians would come i remember back in the day when uh, you know when, when one of us in our company had to get trained in 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 trivandrum mm. all for all of these north indians it was their first ever uh, trip to south india okay mm. it was the first time they'd ever seen something called the sea Right, this was the uh, <laughs> late 1990s, right? Um, and 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 so for, and and again, and Kerala was also at that point of time. There was like one restaurant in Trivandrum where you could get chapatis, and that one restaurant uh, used coconut oil because that was the cheapest <laughs> part of it. Right? Torture for them. It it was because it, for, for them it was like no, you know what? The, it is better not for me to not eat chapatis because this the unfamiliarity of that fat makes it hard because my flavor memories are filled with ghee yeah. and I can't get past that. Mm, but mm. but for locals who come there, they have not had a ghee. They have had chapati only in coconut oil. They're like, yeah. this is really nice. So what is your problem? I mean, <laughs> so, and so, on. so it is, it's a question of, so if you are not familiar and if you're not the novelty seeking kind, this is always going to be a problem. So, for, for example, I think, you know, my um, uh, we we once went to sort of Calcutta many years ago and my mother, very, very strict about what she eats and so on. A good family friend. Uh, they said, we will make South Indian vegetarian. Don't worry, no fish. I know you're vegetarian. We'll do all of that. And they cooked everything in mustard oil. Was was gagging as she was sitting, entering the house. And she was like, I, it's going to be embarrassing. I feel like vomiting. Uh, then I had to politely go and tell them that she will not eat anything in mustard oil. And they literally said, oh, but we don't have any other oil. So, yeah. of course, nowadays Bengalis do have, I mean, of course, they keep refined oil. Of course, they keep ghee, yeah. they, all of that. But you know, back then, you know, people just stuck to, you know, one thing. And I, I think, you know, it is. So, it's all, nostalgia for food is such a powerful sort of this thing. And I, I'm always reminded of people see the movie Ratatouille. Right. Yes. And I think it's this cute film about a rat cooking. Right. But actually speaking, it is is a very very deep multi layered film. Yes. Uh, that's making several points. Right. So yes. one that it, it the other meta commentary actually is the fact that look what is the symbol of the nastiest dirtiest thing in the kitchen? It's a rat. 
yes okay. yes right and it's a rat cooking in a kitchen it doesn't get any worse than that right and what is the ultimate symbol of snobbery in food is the french french food critic right yes yes and the french food critic is supposed to have a fine palate who can distinguish between the slightest amount of what oh, this doesn't have enough salt the butter is not cultured enough or yeah. that you browned the chicken a little bit too hard and and so on yeah. they're supposed to be that sensitive and the yeah. movie's message is that you can be all of that snob but you cannot get past your nostalgia yes a food yeah. critic is still subject to the nostalgia if he ate ratatouille as a kid for him that is what ratatouille is it doesn't matter how else it's made if someone yeah. manages to make it in a way that evokes the flavors that he ate in his mother's kitchen yeah it can be salty it can be doesn't matter it can be aster basically it was a commentary against the fact that food critics can completely be fooled yes especially yeah. in the area where you're hitting their nostalgia so in yeah. fact most people cannot be objective about the food they grew up eating Yeah. So which is why I say when people ask me is this a good dosa I said you should not ask me because the yeah. only dosa I know is the dosa my mother made for like you know 20 years of my life when I stayed at the house that yeah. is my idea it's hard for me to appreciate a szechuan dosa or a or a maggi dosa or any of these Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You should really ask someone who's a north indian who's not grown up eating dosa but who has actually eaten like 50 kinds of dosa in his life uh, and is really a dosa connoisseur right and is willing to try new dosas go ask that person. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to the you know now like earlier when one was growing up i mean your mother people in the house were like you know laboring over the dosa makes and you know putting it overnight doing all those things and now you get it ready prepped so what about you know those sort of things and but, but there still is there still a difference there's no uniformity still i mean it's still a personal thing right and yes. yes yeah and i thought about this when you were um, there's some pa- uh, point in the book when you know your uh, 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 the food labs i think when when you were talking about food labs and whether uh, things like um, you know uh, idlis and pulao and dosa and all um, dosha can be you know yeah. put through the food lab thing is anybody looking at it like that you know i thought that's a I don't think anybody's yeah. doing that yet. So you are talk about that. It's had it is definitely it is definitely happening actually. It's just that it's not mainstream enough, right? I mean, but again this is, see all of this happens off in very slow evolution and sometimes we don't notice the change just within our own generation, right? Uh, yeah. Know. But yeah. when you think about it uh like actually just leave aside food and if you look mm. at all the things in your house, um mm. there's a good chance that 100 years ago Many category of products you use today didn't even exist. I mean, I'm not even speaking about electronics and all that, right? Many <laughs> other even non-electronic products probably didn't exist because the only way to get them was for you to sit and chop a tree and sit and make it, or call a carpenter and have it be made at home and things like that, right? Yeah. I mean, and it was. Uh, so I think the in, as a gen, as a general rule, I think economic growth has always been about there being a market for. professionals to come and do this and sell it to you and deliver it to you uh, in a more and more convenient manner right i mean mm-hmm. we've gone from going to theaters to watch movies to just having uh, you know last i checked there were like 6500 malayalam films i could watch on hotstar i mean it's just yeah. so it is just insane right uh, yeah. so at any point of time my my mother has switched from Oh my god 7 pm Thursday is this serial to yeah. yeah yeah no I'll catch it on I'll catch it on OTT later right you know yeah. and she can binge watch now so it's the same but sometimes but when it comes to the kitchen there'll always be resistance uh, my grand grandfather resisted uh, uh, gas stove right yeah. and my uh, right my my, my uh, so you know it, my father's generation people used to resist the pressure cooker saying that no 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 it will destroy nutrients and, and yes all. and now people are resisting air fryer and microwaves uh, and use of free and so on. so i think it be ready to eat foods 
more and more convenience standardization are all things right? people used to bake bread at their homes right now yes. you can just go buy bread anywhere right yeah uh, and I, I think you know you, so we it will eventually get to the point where you can actually go and buy absolutely fresh preservative free ready to eat uh, freeze dried food is already there because because yeah, the military you. already use it right yes uh, yes just add water and uh, is add water and, and it becomes it will rehydrate right and uh, yeah and it is vacuum sealed and packed so no nutrients and nothing is lost uh, yeah. and if you're a bachelor who simply does not have the time to cook or anything and that's a that's a lifesaver right so yes i think this convenience so eventually i think you know the star trek vision of just going to a machine and saying today i feel like a paneer makhani and a, and a naan and, and it sort of makes it for you and gives you we will eventually get there. There are already companies that are making devices that got to the point where you can drop in the vegetables, the spices, etc, etc. It will chop the vegetables, cook the vegetables, add the spices and give you the finished dish. And then after you eat it, it will wash the dish, uh, wash the appliances. Yeah, so this category, uh, remember, I think that the most single most important feature that at least most men don't realize in anything in the kitchen is, is how easy is it to wash. Right. Uh, and how easy is it to maintain? Right. Um, yeah. and, and this is something that some of these startups are thinking about. Right. And it's coming. It definitely come. It's already come out in. Uh, there are already devices like this uh, in the West for like automatically baking a pasta, automatically making mm. these things and so on. Mm. I think it will start to come for certain simple categories, etc. See, everything will eventually get industrialized, which mm. means that there will still be a special place for truly making artisanal home cooked things. But it's ah. not something you will do three times a day. Mm. It will ultimately become that. I don't think you know it should be anybody's business, unless of course you're rich enough to pay someone to do that. Mm. Uh, right? It should, it should not be anybody's full time job to sit and do this for free for anyone. Yeah. Yeah, but then they'll all, you know how it is, like, there'll still be people who, who say this, like, the mother doing this is part of her, yeah, yeah. the romance of motherhood. That's right, you know, I think there's a there's a famous quote in, uh, I think, uh, the serial Veep, where basically Selena Meyer, who's the president, she says that if men got pregnant, you could get abortions at an ATM. <laughs> Basically meaning that if yeah. you guys have to cook, yeah. you wouldn't bake up all these roots. You will automate it as much as possible. It's yeah. only because somebody is doing it for free for you. You now want to deny them any convenience. Like, no, no, no fridge, no freezer, no this thing. It should be fresh. It should be this. The chapati should be made fresh and come straight from the tawa into the into the yeah. plate and so on. Yeah. yeah. Which also reminds me that, you know, it was a man who uh, developed the diaper, you know. So, I mean, I can understand uh, he was left to look after his grandchild or something and then he decided that, man, this is too much labor, get a diaper. So, this, you know, I thought of that as well when I was like reading the book and, you know, these sort of things popped up in my head. Just a while back, you, you spoke about the pressure cooker and I thought that section was also very great and really useful. So, you want to talk about the pressure cooker? You know, and so the pressure cooker is yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a it's a it's a remarkable uh, sort of device because I think most people don't recognize mm. that you're actually saving half the cooking fuel and energy when you use yes. a pressure cooker than when you cook on an open pot. Yes, right. Yes. Simply because you're utilizing the simple physics principle that at high pressure. Uh, water st still stays liquid at very high temperatures above 100 Celsius. So yes. allowing you to cook food because you do need liquid water to cook food yes. um, and very, very efficiently. And mm -hmm. the other additional thing is that especially for dals, a dal cooked in a pressure cooker actually has more bioavailable nutrients than a Ooh. dal cooked on an open pot. Ooh. Because remember, I think most people forget that in general, 
all the plant products all the things that we eat uh, mm. typically are well basically the the babies of the plants is you know not to use a very gory <laughs> term but we eat seeds largely right and yeah. seeds are the embryo and equivalent yes. of your uterus of that yeah. so the plant has a vested interest in preventing you from eating them right don't uh, do this so the, only that, <laughs> the only thing that a plant wants you to eat willingly is a fruit that's oh. why it makes it sweet and delicious anything else it makes it inedible etc human beings are ingenious because we invented cooking so yes. cooking is what makes it edible right yeah dals are actually notoriously filled with anti nutrients and things that will prevent the absorption all of this because it does not want goats and other things to keep munching on the plant right yeah uh, so uh, in the wild uh, cows etc will try and eat and then say i'm actually getting a upset stomachs so i'm going to skip this and go on to yeah. the that's the that's yeah. how all of these are actually designed right spices yes. actually are designed directly as poisons yeah so in any so. case so the point is that uh, so when you use pressure cooking you are actually breaking down a lot of the anti nutrients more effectively than when you cook in in regular water right mm-hmm. um, and so it actually makes it and it makes it softer and you spend it you spend a lot less time and imagine yes. in typically in many homes people will just use one container one one level of rice and one level of dal and cook both at the same time and they'll yeah. cook like vegetables there which is yeah. superbly efficient right that's true uh, and, and and people rich people sometimes forget how cost conscious uh, and how expensive a gas cylinder is for the vast yes. majority of people in india right yes, yes. so when they make content on instagram and this thing that oh pressure cooker is bad for you guilt shaming some random mother a poor mother with no, some kids who happens to see it on her facebook and and how bad they'll feel am i am i you know denying my baby they may not have the science but these people make these confident statements with like no evidence right yeah yeah um, and so it's it's so in a sense part of my instagram uh, videos and all of that is primarily to reassure people that no 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 relax it is absolutely fine to do it's absolutely fine to reuse cooked oil it's absolutely fine to use pressure cooker it's okay to use uh, air fryer all of these things that add convenience to your life and so a pressure cooker particularly oh, wait, wait, one minute is, before we one minute one minute before we go on to the pressure cooker i have not seen this reel where you said it's okay to use to reuse oil it's okay to reuse oil yeah absolutely it's there in the it's there in masala in one of the sections as well oh, it is a small subsection right, right. i haven't yeah. seen that so 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 basically see the the principle of this is the going in principle is very simple right fats actually do not chemically change when you cook with food okay mm-hmm. everything else is actually undergoing some form of physical or chemical changes right starches expanding proteins are denaturing and breaking and all that fats undergo no change fats are remarkably stable Okay. Oh right so the reason we use fats is so that we can dissolve the spice oils in the fat they're all fat soluble and the mm-hmm. second thing is that fat also doesn't fat boils at a much higher temperature than water so you can cook at a higher temperature than boiling point of water so you can get browning and all those other maillard reactions and all of that yeah, so that's why we yeah. need fat right yeah so fat doesn't actually get digested so by the way when you digest food Uh, sugar carbohydrate simple carbohydrates get digested in 30 minutes mm. okay uh, mm. the protein takes 2 to 3 hours but fats take 5 to 6 hours so that's basically so 6 hours is what your body needs to extract all it needs from the food you eat and then from 6 hours to 72 hours is what the bacteria in your gut they are feeding on the rest okay, oh. okay. if you're a man if you're a man it's 48 hours if you're a woman it's 72 hours gosh <laughs> it's quite quite interesting so when so always interesting a gastroenterologist when you actually have an upset stomach mm. uh, if you are a, if you are a, if you are a man the mm. gastroenterologist asked what you ate for dinner yesterday because uh. that is likely to have been the cause not what you ate today morning or not what you just ate oh okay, okay. because 48 hours 24 to 48 hours if you are a woman he'll ask you what you ate yesterday morning <laughs> 
Oh. Yeah, because food spends a lot more time inside uh, a woman's uh, small intestine than it does in a man's small intestine. Okay. Oh. So these are all. So the interesting thing is that the fat anyway does not get. Uh, so the point here we went off on a tangent is that fat yeah, does yeah. not typically get altered. Okay. Uh, what does happen though is that when you heat fat, um, it is prone to oxidation. Yes. Yeah, there's oxygen in the air and etc. Yeah, etc. Et and oxidized fat again. Not bad for you, mm. but it smells bad. Okay. Yeah, so and it hurts your throat also. Yeah, so we, we call it we we use the term rancid. Okay. Yes, uh, yes. But rancid fat is not bad for you. It just smells really bad. It's unpleasant. Oh. So you don't like the smell. Uh, yeah, you you by the you we we smell it every day. You kept uh, you kept your uh, peanuts in a slightly not very tight container. You know the smell you get after a while. Yes, yes. It is, that, it's the same thing that's happening to fats, except when you heat it at a high temperature. There, it's happening over time. Here, it's happening slightly more quickly. Okay. Now, the second aspect of this is that what you deep fry in that oil, right? Pampered, mm. it could. Be anything else, etc., is going to leave behind small bits inside. Yes. And if you're and if you're really really deep frying it, etc., some of those bits would be charred and brown, etc., etc. Yeah. Too much of that in the oil as you then reheat, etc., etc., is not good for you. Meaning that okay. over a long period of time, a lot of that those are carcinogenic substances. Which again, by the way, it's not like you'll get cancer, but it increases your chance if you over consume and so on. Right? Oh. So again, it all depends on. Uh, if you are using oil to heat pappard, right, which is a common use case, you're frying something, you know, uh, deep fry something, right, and then a puri, yeah. right, and then you have yeah. the oil, right. As long as you cool the oil down, store it in a dark container, and two, also do one round of filtering. So when you basically heat oil, all that's basically happening is that, depending on how long you heated it and and all of that. Uh, some amount of that oil might get oxidized and so on. As I said, but the oxidized oil is actually not bad for you. It, it depending on how much you've ended up uh, overheating it, it, it may smell bad. And incidentally, actually, it that's going to happen only after about like four to five times, right? Oh. Now, so after the first time you do it, you fry some papad, etc., etc. As long as you cool the oil down, filter the oil. So all of those things that are not fat, all the th bits of food are filtered out. Then you store in a, a dark container. Oh. It is perfectly fine to reuse that oil. If you want to be ultra safe, don't use it for frying again, but use it for like sabji and all of that. Oh, absolutely fine. So the misconception here is that people think there is something fundamentally unhealthy about I did. Yeah. oil if it's just being fried once. No, your average restaurant, etc. will reuse it four to five times. But remember, they will actually use a industrial oil cleaner. So there are oh. different machines they have. The oil that's been used at the start of the day, they'll put it inside. It will do the filtering. Right, it'll do the complete cleaning, and uh, and then it'll come down as oil that you can then uh, use again. Right. Wow. So it, yeah, so you can. It is actually they, in the industrial setting. It is they. they, they it, you can safely use four to five times if you use that kind of a cleaner at home. We don't have that kind of equipment, so you are uh, uh, probably you know better off doing once or twice at maximum. Again, this is see interesting. This is also a very economic class question. The richest people will not. Okay, middle class people have a doubt. Poor people absolutely will reuse. <laughs> I mean, I chuck it out feeling very bad and thinking that oh, we shouldn't eat papad so much or That's something. That, again, that is that is just that is just random internet people guilt shaming you. That's it. <laughs>
Okay, so before we went on to this, you know, uh, thing about uh, reusing oil, we were going to talk about pressure cooking, right? So talk about that, you know, yes. it's such a fantastic thing, pressure cooking. And like you yes, said, yes. I mean, when it was first introduced, people must have all said, oh, this is bad. Just like, you know, how when you had, I mean, I remember some uncle of mine saying that grinding in, you know, uh, Mav. Yeah, yes. is bad, you know, it's very bad. So it so, has to be. It has yes, to be the hand of you. a woman, right? <laughs> yes. So, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about pressure cooking as such a yeah. So, So, the pressure cooker, as I said, I think it's a, a, a one that it saves half your uh, gas bill, uh, gas uh, usage. And, and more importantly, it also cooks your uh, dal and all much, much better. Uh, and then it, uh, for a few vegetables, it actually results in more retention of some micronutrients like vitamin C, vitamin B and all of that, which are usually the ones that are lost in any kind of cooking, by the way, right? Mm -hmm. Any kind of heating of food will result in loss of vitamin B and vitamin C to some extent. The longer you cook, the higher the temperature, the, the more you lose, right? Pressure cooker, you cook for a shorter amount of time. So you actually end up retaining in those kinds of vegetables uh, mm -hmm. and so on, right? Um, and the other thing is also sort of very... Uh, versatile for cooking everything in one shot, right? There are some yes. dishes that you can just make the whole thing and just pressure cook and then like you're done, right? I mean, it is yeah. a, it's such a convenient uh, thing. You can also, uh, nowadays, the older pressure cooker that you had to sort of, you know, wait and measure, you know, whistles and then you have to lower yeah. the heat and then measure time and all of yeah. that. Um, nowadays, you do have the instant pot uh, yes. category of devices, electronic pressure cooker of which Instant Pot is one of the brand names. You know, it's sort of become like Xerox, right? You know, yes. people will say, I have a Canon Xerox machine, right? So it's sort of become like a, that sort of thing, right? So yeah. everybody says, I have a, I have this brand uh, Instant Pot. So it's sort yeah. of become like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that category of device is just such a lifesaver. And uh, it has now reached uh, around the, you know, three to 5,000 rupee range. And uh, mm -hmm. it is an absolute marvel where you just put it, you forget it. it. It is never going to blow. You don't have to worry about it. It will automatically turn off. It doesn't use gas. It uses electricity. Very, very efficient. Uh, and, and you can do many things with it, right? So it has comes with an air fryer attachment. So you can yeah. do air frying. It comes, yeah. with a, it comes with something called a yogurt mode or a batter mode, which by the way, you can use to make... So let's say you're in Delhi and cold and your idli batter or yogurt homemade yogurt isn't really setting yeah uh, you can use that mode because it will keep the temperature at 40 celsius uh, mm. which is ideal for bacteria right and yes. then that way you can let it ferment you set it and exactly at four hours it will stop and let you know when the yogurt is done so i mean so these these devices are such a lifesaver they've already been widely adopted in the west and in southeast asia yeah so again, it's only a matter of time you know before the before all the old men eventually relent and allow their uh, wives to have a bit of a life, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, also, when I was like uh, reading the book, you know, and like I said, I, mean, I dipped in and out because I started out reading it like a novel. And then I said, this is useless. I, this is not the way to read it. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, this doesn't give me enough inspiration if I'm just sitting and reading from, you know, chapter after chapter. So, you know, it tells readers how how they should read this book, you know, ideally according to the author. Oh, okay. So yeah. I, I, it depends. I would, I, it, it would actually depend on what level of cooking skills you actually have, right? Mm -hmm. If you, if you're an absolute kind of beginner, young person, never really cooked in your life and you really want to sort of, you know, get the basics, right? Mm -hmm. I would actually urge you to just stick to the first chapter and spend, actually reread it a few times, 
and then yeah. actually go try stuff in the kitchen because the first chapter is the longest chapter it really just focuses on absolute basics like cooking rice yes. cooking dal making chapatis cooking egg cooking meat and just all of those absolute basics right mm. once you've mastered those basics is then you can then get on to the spices and all the other advanced uh, uh, chapter and then again you can pause at the sort of like the very advanced chapter 5 chapter 6 sort of stuff before you really master all of this you master aroma you try different uh, acids uh, you introduce all of these uh, you you really get nail your onion browning there's an entire chapter on oh, yes, what yes. a different browning a and onion makes right here yeah yes, yeah, right? yeah uh, and so on. so there are the advanced chapters and then obviously i think uh, uh, advanced cooks reasonably advanced cooks i would just say you can go straight to the advanced chapters and the base gravies and all because those are the chapters that are focused on saving saving you time yes yes so for advanced cooks it's really just chapter 6 7 etc that's where the the money is right um, yeah. and then and and there there may be some people who are like you know uh, forget it i don't have the time i want i want to i'm very hands on i want one dish where i can practice every thing that this book has to offer then that's the last chapter which is how to make a biryani right um, <laughs> because that 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 combines rice making cooking meat absolutely perfectly marination using acids using layering using the right mix of spices and getting temperature and layering and all of that perfectly right uh to make you know what is essentially the national dish here so yeah. so so basically i think you know that that so i would actually say i don't think anyone is meant to read book from start to finish yeah so beginners probably see the first few chapters and sort of do that and then go to the next few chapters of then you know it's sort of like a three week course three course meal if you will <laughs> uh, over 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 a few months actually right uh, experts yeah. just go straight to the middle of the book where all the productivity hacks and the modern techniques and all of that happen and then people who are very very practical minded oh just if you just wanted to only read one chapter of the book read the, <laughs> uh, the biryani chapter yes when the productivity hacks are fantastic you know like when i was young, when i was a child i remember femina had used to have these product this page of productivity hacks and this remind some of the sections reminded me that because i used to, that was the only thing i liked about that magazine okay <laughs> the productivity yes. at the same time yes <laughs> you've stuffed the book with that and it's fantastic yep you know yep yeah and it was again it, these are many of these hacks are things i didn't invent i mean these are things i've observed yeah. uh, people do in the kitchen yeah. these are things that i've observed professional chefs use uh, uh, and yeah who knows you know maybe maybe they learned it from someone reading a feminar back in the day right <laughs> you never know <laughs> yes probably okay yes. so you um, and also i what i found nice about the book is also you like peppered it with humor sort of like an unexpected sort of humor but in some some bits like uh, i'll have to like look up the world war 1 references yeah, I <laughs> so, yes yes, <laughs> yes. I, i i there was actually so it was an interesting thing because my hmm. um so I, my 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 uh, style of writing before i kind of wrote this book was always the sort of very nerdy Mm. lot of references sci-fi references pop culture references nerd tech references uh, and chennai references actually more than anything else right uh, was was yeah. a what's natural way in which i used to write and that was my blog and the way i used to tweet yes. and all of that right yeah. and it, it's and, and you know it's, it's penguin was seeing that writing is why they said hey you know you should write a, a book on food right i mean you know mm. so and then my editor also said look you know uh, i know your first draft is going to be filled with a ton of tech and nerd references and so on we are going to tone it down right <laughs> um, and you may not like that but you're going to tone it down because that's the only way to make the book accessible to a wider population so for, w- rule 1 was is that uh, 
while I originally assumed that we would target the techie sort of social media savvy audience, which is an easy you know thing yeah. for me to do, right? And and, yeah. and, you know, and again, for most part, at least in India, right? For English, mm. uh, it, 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 very hard to write a book for everyone. You That's do true. have to target, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, because it's a very, very wide audience, right? Yes. Uh, so the, the people who end up writing for a very large audience, there are, you know, the, the Ambitious and the Chetans and the Sudha Murthys and others, yeah. they exist, right? But yeah. they, again, they are fiction. It's very hard to write nonfiction for a wide audience, except in certain categories, like how to make money as a spirituality, in a few areas <laughs> yeah. of that. But otherwise, it's like mostly you have to be, you have to target. Yes. Now, um, and again, even those areas, uh, you first have to be famous anyway. Okay. A book comes additionally, right? It's yeah. never been a, that's true. Pure play book, not Indians only trust individuals, right? <laughs> they don't trust institutions, processes, and all that. But yeah. so therefore, we that was my going in position. And then after they read two, three chapters, I think the uh, the editor felt that you know what? I think we can take a bold risk. Uh, we can make this book work for a wider audience. Mm. Um, and so what she said is that I'm going to ask my sub editor. I'm going to put a sub editor who's uh, who hated science all her life, a proper <laughs> English lit person mm. who viscerally hates the her science teachers and school even right now like that traumatic experiences she's undergone so so you've got to write and explain the science no no chemical equations no use complicated technical terms etc she has to understand everything and and even instruct the sub editor try out the hacks at your home okay and really okay. truly right uh, and so actually it took me six weeks to write the book and it took us like six months to edit the book um, uh -huh. and uh, because because the sub editor was chapter by chapter she would try out everything and also say i didn't understand this chennai joke i didn't understand this reference that you're making right yeah. and that so so she let me have one or two uh, a few <laughs> douglas adams references and so on but she said we're going to take everything else out and we're going to like force yourself to make right humor that is slightly more accessible to people uh, um, and also assume that the person listening to you does not ha has not gone through science in high school right uh, and so you do have to don't assume they'll understand latent heat and specific heat capacity that this but if you're using that word explain what it is right? uh, um, and I think so we went through that and I think that that really helped uh, to be honest I think that expanded the audience for the book and I was very surprised when the large bulk of the people who ended up eventually buying the book are basically either uh, like you know, homemakers who just happen to you know cook at home and so on not just mm -hmm. like techies who are learning to cook right and yeah. strangely enough a large number of chefs who are like I want to give this book as my you know Christmas gift or my Diwali gift and so on a lot of chefs in India ended up starting gifting that book saying that by the way this explains what I do you guys ask me how I do what I do this book ex explains it and so it's, I, that was a sort of I, because even chefs are actually not exactly science trained they are actually yes. just trained in the culinary arts right yeah. yeah and we call it culinary arts and not culinary sciences right yeah there is there is a category of people who are food technologists and food scientists yeah they make biscuits and chips they actually yes. don't cook food right? yes 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 but you know what when i was reading this book and i was thinking like you know all the and you men mentioned also you know the chemistry of uh cooking and all that and i was thinking that everybody like by this logic everybody's instinctively being being a scientist in the kitchen right Absolutely, it is. I mean, a, and so right, a, because, good, a good cook is a is doing science actually, right? So. Yes. Engineering. Let's yeah. so let's put it this way. Right? So I think that is 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 chemical engineering in the kitchen. Right? Yes, which yeah, you because what, the difference between engineering and science is that science is you are trying to find solutions to problems that have not been solved. Engineering is you are applying applying the science that has already been done. 
to produce something that is fantastic right so that's engineering right mm-hmm. so yeah so i, I think uh, somebody who develops recipes is is a scientist somebody i think who uh, cooks at home and makes delicious food is a uh, is more a chemical engineer right yes excellent so you know krish i could just keep going on and on but one last question maybe i think earlier yes. the thing you said you know maybe a, the next book will deal with that so do you want to talk about your next <laughs> book and what you're dealing with <laughs> no it's it's i again it's 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 still under uh, i'm still thinking about it to be honest but there are i think there are a wide range of uh, topics we've been thinking about one is obviously i think you know sort of dealt with the the flavor and the cooking part of food uh, i think there are so many other interesting stories to be told about food in the sense of where did our where did indian food actually come from right in terms of you know it's yeah. yes about breezy but not purely history but a lot of history has been written about and it's also a lot of food history is also slightly urban myths uh, yes. because it's sometimes very hard to verify and so but i think there are interesting stories to be told through the lens of economics and uh, archaeology and through the actual science like the evolutionary biology right of food itself right? there's so, so many facts so like you know for example you could write tell so many interesting stories about why uh, why chilies burn or why onions you know cause your eye to tear up or uh, what is it about their history that makes it that way or what is it about uh, why do vegetables today have like 30% fewer micronutrients than the vegetables your grandfather uh, mm. likely your grandparents ate and so on uh, and wh- why why do we eat carrots but not some of our native gourds right and, and for, mm. for example if you so uh, sometimes people ask me how do i find whether a vegetable is native to india or not uh, mm. my controversial answer to that is ask ask make a list of all the vegetables you hated as a child make a list <laughs> right and you will find that they are all indian vegetables oh. like all the vegetables you loved potatoes carrots all cauliflower all of them are uh, from europe okay yeah uh, but your bitter gourd snake gourd bottle gourd ivy gourd all of those things are 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 are, uh, are natively indian and so on so again there's there are so many those kinds of things then there is the other wider landscape of how food interacts with your body and the bits and all of the other things surrounding it those are all very fascinating things that we're still thinking about and uh, still work in progress uh, to be honest so nothing nothing certain yet wow okay i look forward to reading that as well and talking to you on that when it arrives so for the listeners you know go out and get uh, masala lab the science of indian cooking the latest uh, the illustrated edition by krish ashok it is a fantastic book it's a very inspiring book it makes you want to like try things and also makes one understand what you you know what one has been doing in the kitchen just sort of like instinctively and sometimes it turns out where well, sometimes it doesn't <laughs> so, so yeah. now you know why I mean, it does it yeah, yeah. Yes. it's it's it, what you do in the kitchen is cooler than you think it is um, yeah. and it's it's also easier than you think it is so you know okay. both both things are true okay great so thank you so much krish for talking to me lovely bye. lovely speaking to you manjula bye see you bye bye to stay updated on this podcast follow us at hd smartcast on all the major social media platforms to listen to more such podcasts log on to www.hdsmartcast.com you